Abraham. Open up in prayer. Father God, thank you for being here with us and that I don't jack it up. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so um, I would say my title for tonight is what it takes to have radical faith. And oh, man, I was just thinking about my own recent experience with Emery and all the crazy things that I did when he was in the hospital and just how radical I got and really how it helped me, how, how it helped me grow and how it really helped build my most holy faith and just some of the, some of the steps that I had to go through just to get to that point because I feel like at this moment, there's nothing that I'm not fully persuaded persuaded of that God can't do. I mean, he can do anything. And I know when I set my mind on it and I speak it according to his word, that it's already done. And I was able to see that with Emery. And just, I really wanted to kind of talk to you guys about that. And just some of the things that I, that we endured, me particularly, personally throughout that. So... Um, so I have six things. So if you take notes, there's, I'm going to be as organized as I can. And I wrote six things of what it takes to have radical faith. So we're going to just jump right in there. So one of the things that it takes to have radical faith is we have to shed the victim mentality. We have to believe that we are a child of God and that we are not our own. We have to be fully persuaded of that. And when I say victim mentality, I want you to think about every name, every um, label that you have play either you've placed upon yourself or the world has placed upon yourself. So that includes your race, your ethnicity, all of that, your job profession, everything, all of that. None of that matters. What matters is that we are children of God and that we are not our own. Because sometimes what happens is things happen in the world. We see things on television, whatever, whatever. Like with police brutality, I could totally get in the victim mentality as in regards to being black. But you know what? I'm not black. I'm a child of God. I am not my own. So we really have to, to be mindful of that. Because when we know who we are and whose we are, we know whose we aren't. So I want us to go to John 5, 1 through 8, to start off with. And when you get there, say amen. <laughs> All right. So after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic, Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So stop, I want to stop right there. Oh, you can go to six, but I'm going to kind of explain a little bit prior to that. So a couple of things that we know. I, want, I wanted to point out that Bethesda means house of mercy. That's very important. Another thing that we notice is they're by a sheep gate. Can you imagine 
how nasty that probably was being by a sheep gate. Another thing that we we know is that there's a lot of invalids in this area. And another thing that we know that we're told is that there's a man there and he's been there 38 years. So what what does that tell us? Especially in these areas, you know, there's locals. Everybody knows everybody. So everybody knows who this man is, especially if he's been there for 38 years. That's a long time. So when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, thus 38 years, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, and I want you guys to really hear this. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. What, do you realize what he was doing here? He was playing the victim, wasn't he? Because what did he say when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Well, Jesus, well, he didn't know who Jesus was at the time. So he said, sir, but he's like, sir, what? I don't have anybody to help me. How often do we say that? I don't have anybody to help me. And then what did he say? And then when I try, people get in front of me. I mean, you can think of so many different instances where people, where you've heard somebody do this. This is perfect example of the victim mentality. But what does Jesus do? What He completely ignores the victim mentality. He doesn't even address it. He just says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And what happens? Immediately the man is healed and he takes up his mat and he walks. And we're not going to read this part, but what I think is awesome is one of the first places he goes to is the temple. That's awesome. But what I want you guys to realize is the first thing that Jesus asked the man was, do you even want to be healed? You've been there a long time. Can you imagine being riddled with some kind of affliction or infirmity for that long? It really doesn't matter if you read scripture, if in your heart you aren't fully persuaded that you even want to be healed. I, can, I can't even imagine if I was dealing with something and you really got to decide, well, do I even want this? So we have to ask ourselves that, do do you want it, right? Because that's what he asked. That's what he asked the invalid. Because if the man didn't want it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened. So I love how Jesus didn't even he didn't even speak to the victim mentality. He just told him, "Rise, take up your mat, and walk." Amen. And what's awesome is the site is the house of mercy. He gives mercy to us. He gave mercy to that man. And what's super awesome. Is that man, he didn't even know Jesus' name at the time, but it didn't matter at that point. He was healed. He was also healed on the Sabbath, which that's not important right now. But can you imagine, because we talked about he was there for 38 years. We know that there was a ton of people that knew him. So can you imagine what happened when he took up his mat and started walking? All the people that saw that. What, can you imagine? being riddled with something for 38 years and standing up and walking, being completely healed of that, that is incredible. And I know that, that the Lord spoke to me because I know there's a lot of things in my life that I've struggled with. I even took some time in prayer and shedding the, the victim mentality myself. And I wrote down some lies that I had believed my whole life. And I want to read some of those to you guys. 
see, these are some of the lies that I'd listened to my whole 38 years of life, which I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, you are not worthy of love. You are too far gone to be saved. You don't deserve a good life after what you've done. You can't have a good man love you. No one really cares for you. It's a lie. You'll always be known as an addict. If people really knew you, they'd leave. These are the lies that I listened to and believed almost my entire life. But you know what? The awesome thing is there's the truth in God's word. And I want you guys to go to Matthew 15, 13, while I read some of the truths of God's word that I used to combat these lies that I had been believing. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. You are not worthy of love. Well, guess what? For God so loved the world. Number two, you are too far gone to be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Three, you don't deserve a good life. For I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepares beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't have a good, you can't have a good man love you. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. No one really cares for you. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. So on and so forth. So I, in that moment, when I wrote this list, I shed my own victim mentality. And I put on the, the, um, oh, thank you, Jesus. I put on the Lord and the identity that I have in him. So Matthew 15, 13 says, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. So what the Lord was beginning to show me was that there were a lot of things in my life that weren't planted divinely and there's hope. He, he will pull out all those roots. Amen. So the first thing that I had to do as I was beginning to learn how to walk in radical faith was I had to shed victim mentality. I know when Emery was in the hospital and I, it was hard because especially being a nurse, there are so many things that I saw and it was so hard to see with my eyes and to believe what the word says. I remember one instance, Emery was so swollen. He looked like the Michelin man. And I remember just feeling fear rise up and I just started declaring the word. And I remembered that the Holy Spirit told me to write scripture on Emery's board so that everyone who came in would see scripture and to allow to have uh, to make play musical playlists so that everybody would come in would hear um, well it was a lot of scriptural songs so they would hear the scripture being sung and it was incredible because everybody came to his room because there was peace there they knew that the Holy Spirit was there which was awesome it was so hard and, and in that moment and in those moments I uh, really was faced with my own double-mindedness, double which is my second thing that I had to come to, which is to shed the double-mindedness and the doubt. So being double-minded means to waver, to be unstable and restless in all of your ways, which means that you're unstable in everything you think, feel, and decide. Let's go to James 1, 2 through 8. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways. So in, the, in that moment, I had to come to terms with my own double-mindedness. And really, if you, I'm, I'm a very visual person, so if you think of a double mind, that literally means having two minds. We cannot have that. That's like serving self and spirit. You can't. You can only have one. So at that moment, I had to decide to put myself down, my doubt down, my fear down, and believe the word of God, no matter what it looked like. And it looked really grim. I, I know there was many times where I even, I even allowed a little bit of PTSD to come in, dealing with a lot of what Emery was going through. I didn't want to pick up the phone. When it would ring at 2 o'clock in the morning, I remember one time Lewis and I had went and tried to get some alone time and the phone rang and I didn't even want like immediately my heart started racing and I believed the worst possible scenario and I remember just handing the phone to Lewis I'm like I can't do it you gonna have to answer the phone I just couldn't I know there was times where we would walk in to the hospital and all these people would be coming out of his room because they would have had they had to give him chest compressions and give him atropine and epinephrine to get his heart starting again and that did something to me as a mother but I had to shed yes being even being a mother we can have a victim mindset god why is this happening to my son why is this happening to me none of that matters. I had to shed that. And I had to shed my double-mindedness, which being a nurse, it created that because there was a whole nother mind, whole nother knowledge that I, I was learning to rely upon. And I couldn't in that moment, I couldn't rely on any of those things. And it was hard because my family looked to me for the answers and I didn't want to give them the answers in the natural because it didn't look good. I had to believe in what God said. And I knew that God said that Emory would live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I had to stand on that. And so even in what I was going through, I had to stand fast in my faith and be firm for my family. And it was hard. It was hard to put on this brave face. And I had to go in, in private and cry to God because I didn't want them to see that. I had to be strong. It was tough. It, it's tough when they believe because of that knowledge you have that you have all the answers and there's wisdom in that, but there's not. The only wisdom that we have is in Christ and in the Holy Spirit and he will ask us and he will give it to us liberally. Like that scripture just said. Uh, go to James 4, 8. So what I, what we have to do is draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the double-mindedness, it starts in our heart because we're, we're, we're wavering in everything we think, feel, and decide. We have to make a decision. If you wanna, if you wanna walk in radical faith, you can't be double-minded. 
So also while Emery was going through everything he was going through, uh, in October of 2016, I had been diagnosed with lupus. And I remember praying in the Holy Spirit telling me that they were going to diagnose me with that. And so I was able to start to begin to put my faith on it. And it was a lot. I, I, there was just so much going on. So what I did in the natural was I began, I listened to the doctor. I began to take the medications that he prescribed. Because at the time, I mean, that was just natural for me to do at the time. But as I got stronger in my faith, I began to combat that. And I began to take it back. I began to see what the word said about healing. And I'm, I have to be radical. I have to, it's all or nothing for me. I couldn't take the medicine and believe God's word. To me, for me, that was being double-minded. I had to do one or the other. So what I decided to do was I shed all the medicine and it's been about two years and my rheumatologist is just in awe. He's like, how are you, there's, there's no markers in my blood anymore. Um, it's incredible. Uh, what, what happens when you begin to stand on the word of God and you begin to believe what the word says and not what the natural is telling you because it was it was just crazy in the natural, but I had to decide, and I decided at that moment that I wasn't going to waver. I wasn't going to be double-minded anymore, so I began to believe in the word, and it, it may take some time to see that manifest in the natural, but we know in the supernatural it's already done, and that's all we need, and what ha what always happens is the devil is going to try to get you, it's the moment that you begin to believe and you're fully persuaded, something's going to come along to make you second guess yourself. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't second guess yourself. Once you are fully persuaded of what God has told you and what his word says, you stand firm on that. He's going to throw everything he can in the natural, but we don't believe with our eyes. So remember that because you know what's going to happen. Everything he can, he's going to try to throw it at you. So I shed the victim mentality and I had to shed the double-mindedness and the doubt. I had to believe that I was already healed. I had to believe that my son was already healed. It didn't matter what it looked like in the natural. It didn't matter that he was on a trach. It didn't matter that they were telling us that he was going to have to be on that forever or that he was never going to do this or never do that. None of that mattered. I knew what the word said. And we got crazy, okay? We st <laughs> I will never forget, and I love winners for this. It's like everything that I, I was like, you know what? I was, I was believing and I had to get radical with it. I remember one day, um, I believed wholeheartedly that we were supposed to go up there and praise and worship right in the waiting room. And that's what we did. Everybody came up there and we filled that waiting room at OU Children's, man. It was awesome. And you know what? I may not have seen the results in the natural that I wanted, but there was a woman whose daughter was in that same hospital and she came in there and she believed in that next day her daughter got to be released. And you know what? Even if Emory hadn't been released that next day, God still showed up and he still, he helped another mother. And that's what it's about. It's about sharing what we're going through because we never know who needs it. I have always been one of those people that say, I'm a private person. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that 
We gotta throw privacy out the window. We gotta shed light on the darkness. We gotta shed light on these things so that we can help one another because we all are equipped with the tools to be successful. And I have something that you guys need and you guys have something that I need. And so I have to share. And so we got radical. I, I remember seeing a video where we were dance. I remember we um, had a hashtag dance for healing and everybody got on board. We had everybody dancing, sharing videos of them dancing because we believed that we were dancing. We're dancing out uh, Emery's healing and believing in it. Um, we did the no Emery, no shave. We just really got in solidarity and it was incredible to be able to do that. So another thing that I had to do was I had to set boundaries between myself and the world. And that, and that really, really means that we have to be disciplined. So I shed the victim mentality. I had to believe that I was a child of God and that I am not my own. And I also had to believe that my son was not mine. I had to give Emery to God before he was even born. And I think that's why I can stand here and smile and say that the joy of the Lord is my strength and know that God healed my heart of grief because I had already given Emery to God before he was born. So it was easy when, when Emery decided to go to heaven, it was, it was a little bit easier because I already knew he wasn't mine to begin with. So the third thing I had to do was set boundaries between me and the world. So what does that look like? That means that you have to do whatever it takes to consecrate yourself from the things of the world so that you look more and more like God. That means, and I'm telling you, I'm radical. So that means I don't watch certain movies, I don't watch certain shows, I don't let certain music in my atmosphere, because I'm telling you, even music that we think may not be negative or have cussing in it, it still has power over us. And we have to really be mindful of that. There's this amazing artist, her name is Yeba. Oh my gosh, she, need, she, she grew up singing gospel and you can tell. And I love I loved her album, but I noticed within and when I listen to CDs, I obsessively listen to it like over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So I was doing that with hers, and then I realized that I was kind of feeling depressed and down. And then I remembered that her seat she created that CD um, out of a place of grief that her mother had committed suicide, and that's where those that's that place that those songs came out of. And so I'm like, oh. Okay, I can't listen to this. And it was hard because she's so, oh my gosh, her voice is heavenly. But I couldn't. I, ha I had to separate myself. I had to set boundaries. And you have to, we have to set boundaries. You're going to look crazy to the world and that's okay. We're supposed to. We're not supposed to look like the world. And that's the problem with the church is we've been trying so hard to be tolerable and relevant to other people to draw them in. But we know that there's certain people that are chosen. We're not gonna look like the world, we're not supposed to. So it's time to draw a line in the sand. So let's go to Deuteronomy 28, 14. So you have to decide what that looks like. So another example, when I began to set boundaries was, I decided, okay, well, um, I was on blood pressure medicine. I said, well, I'm gonna get off this blood pressure medicine and this is how I'm gonna do it. And I set a boundary. So think about some things, 
pertaining to healing. And it could be emotional healing. It could be whatever the case may be. Begin to set boundaries between you and what the world has been telling you to do. Um, like uh, when Emory passed, the doctor gave me depression medication. I did not take it and I will not take it because I don't need to take it. That's setting a boundary. That's drawing a line in the sand. We have to be willing to rely completely and wholly on God. And it's going to hurt. Our flesh is going to cry out. But it's worth it. It's worth setting these boundaries and not looking like the world. I want to look like Jesus. I don't want to look like the world. Okay. I think I'm ready to say the, the scripture now. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Can you keep going? But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and the statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So the whole point in the scripture, can you go back to 14? is that we do not turn aside from any of the words that he commands us. We don't look to the right or to the left. We look straight ahead. And the life is, is going to always try to get to distract us. It's going to try to get us to look from the right and to the left and to get our focus off of Jesus. And we can't, no matter how hard it is. And I know sometimes it was so hard for me to get in prayer and to not be distracted. So make create boundaries. If you have to get a Bible, get a Bible. If your phone is a distraction, don't use the Bible app. It, it could be something as small as that, but it makes a big difference. You know what you're struggling with and you know what you need to set boundaries with and you need to do that. The time is now. And I wanted to uh, kind of give you guys um, a visual because I'm a very visual person. And when I was in prayer, I was, I really was trying to visualize, you know, our spirit, our soul and our body. And something that I saw was our soul is a portal. And it's the, it's where the battle between Satan and Jesus is. So think about this portal. Here's your spirit. There's this portal. There's your flesh. In this portal is where Jesus, he's the lover of your soul, and he's fighting for your soul. And also Satan, he is fighting for your soul as well. The portal is the way for your spirit to get from the supernatural out. So I want you guys to think about that. Do you guys, have you guys seen portals before? It's like this opening. And we're supposed to protect our portal. We're supposed to protect our soul. Our souls are afflicted, and it's our job to ensure that we are placing in our souls the Word of God. And as a, as a reminder, our soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. So think about this portal. Think about this gate. And it was cool because Jesus is the gate, right? So our, our soul is also a gate. It's a gate to us. So if you think about that, think about how you need to set boundaries to ensure that the world and Satan doesn't get into your portal. Does that make sense? So that helped me a lot. I'm like, oh, I like that. So that portal is your mind, your will, and your emotions. What do you have to do to protect that? Get in the word. You got to get in the word. You got to set boundaries. Let's go to, I have a bunch of scriptures here. Let's go to, uh, and another thing we can use for this, 
for setting boundaries is also Matthew 15, 13, which we just said, which is <clears throat> uh, that every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Another scripture we're going to use is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Hmm. No, that's not right. Hold on. Let's go to Joshua 23.6. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. So again, with setting boundaries. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Setting boundaries. We have to set boundaries, and that requires discipline. Discipline is hard. One of the things that I was really good at in school and as a kid was disciplining myself, thanks to my parents. I hated track, y'all. I hated it. I hated it. But I loved the results. I loved what it did for my mind. It allowed it to be strong, but it hurt. All that conditioning I had to go through, the way my muscles felt when I was sore. But I'm telling you what, I got faster and faster and faster, but it required discipline on my part. It required me being sure that I put the right things inside my body. It required that I slept the proper amount of time. It required that I listened to my coaches and I did what they said. So when we set boundaries, that requires discipline because there are always going to be things that are going to try to come against and buck up on your boundaries. Like a marriage, we have, Lewis and I have boundaries that we've set for each other, but also for people outside of our marriage. We're not going to let somebody else inside of our marriage that's setting boundaries. Think of, and it says, we, the word talks about us being, uh, the church being the bride. So think about that. We are married to Jesus. So what do you have to do to ensure that you set those boundaries so that the world doesn't come in between the marriage that you have with Jesus? You could think of it that way too. Got to get radical. So what kind of boundaries are you going to have to set to ensure the success of that? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.13 tells us that faith... is a spirit. Hallelujah. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Amen. So faith is not a feeling. So if you're waiting on yourself to feel a certain way, this is not going to happen. Uh, on Thursday, I had to go to Broken Arrow and the whole way there, I cried. I was my feelings were really raw. I think it was just the remnants of revival in my flesh just crying out because I laid some things down and God did something in me and my flesh was crying out. It was it was just trying to grab onto every little thing and and I immediately uh I just spent time with the Holy Spirit the whole way there and I said my feelings are not facts. And sorrow tried to come back up. And I said, my feelings are not facts. The fact of the matter is that I know that Emory is in heaven. And I had to stand on that. Because your feelings are, are going to try to tell you certain things and dictate. And we can't allow them to. So you got to set boundaries with, with those things too. 
you have to really, really be disciplined. And I consider myself a very emotional person. I used to cry at the drop of a hat. I'm getting better. But we have to set boundaries. I had to set boundaries with myself. I'm not going to be crying over everything. In the name of Jesus. Because <laughs> it's embarrassing. But what I've been doing is I've been taking my emotions and giving them to God. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to worship him with all our soul, right? So that's what I've been doing. Anytime my emotions get out of control or I feel them rising up, I just worship him. I give him to him. And I'm learning in those, in those times what worship really looks like too. And, and really just that's really stretching me out and being more radical. We're, we need to give everything to him. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So there's something that people say a lot, protect your peace. And I was thinking to myself, how can we protect something that's not even ours to begin with? God, Jesus gave us peace. He said, peace I, I give to you, peace I leave you. Uh, the peace isn't ours. So I just had to say that. <laughs> the peace comes from God, doesn't come from anywhere else. So let's review. We got to shed to what it takes to have radical faith. We got to shed the victim mentality. So think about the different um, names, different professions, different things that the world or yourself has put upon you. When we talked about ethnicity, whatever the case may be, that's not who you are. You are a child of God and you are not your own. Two, shed the double-mindedness and the doubt. Three, set boundaries between you and the world, and that requires discipline. Four, be about your daddy's business first. <laughs> Matthew 6, says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. A lot of times what we'll do, and we do that here, we seek the kingdom, but we don't seek his righteousness. It says, and, we got to remember that is that we have to not only seek his kingdom, but we have to seek his righteousness too. And then all things will be added. You know, we like to take scripture and we just take a little piece of it and then we don't say the rest of it. Like the Lord was telling me um, when we were believing for our finances and we were believing in my God shall supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, prior to that, it says that you have to sow. But we, people don't read that, do they? no. It's in the sowing that he shall supply all your needs according to your, his riches and glory. So really remember to read all the scripture in its entirety. So I needed to tell you all that. So we have to be about God's king business first. Then he'll take care of our business. So what does that look like, taking care of God's business first? That means coming to church. What? Church is open on Sundays and Wednesdays here at Winners. Be here. We cannot continue to put other things before God and continue to expect consistency and blessing from him. We can't. 
how can we ever allow God to do what he wants to do in his fullness if we're not taking care and just making sure that we're here when the doors are open? That's really important. I trust me, I know, because when I was in nursing, I thought, I, and it's always with good intentions. You know, I start a job and I'm like, I can't work on these days. And then once, what ends up happening two, three months later, what am I doing? Working overtime or working overnight on the Sunday and not coming to church. No, we have to be at church. And that, and that might stretch you, but you know what? We're all here. We're family. We'll make sure you get here. Okay. We'll make sure you get here. Another thing we need to do if we're to be about God's business is uh, we need to be there for other people. Outreach. We need to be at outreach. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own stuff that we forget. And, and case in point is what I just said about our finances. Lewis and I had to step out of ourselves and so into other people in order to get, our, get what was for us. Because it's all, it's all about serving. It's all about sowing. It's all about doing for others. It's all about preferring others over ourselves. And we can't do that when we're at home. Just saying. You can't do that when you choose to, to work on the day you're supposed to be at church. It's not a secret when church is. We need to be here. Like today. I know a healing room isn't a priority for most people, but I encourage everyone to begin to come to healing room. It's only once a month. It's the last Monday of the month. There's something that God wants to get to us. We need to be sure to be here when the doors are open. Amen. So we got to be about our daddy's business and he'll be about ours. Five, we got to be willing to look crazy. So I'm about to make a very big decision and I'm not going to say what yet because I don't know if people I work with and stuff, you know, listen, whatever. But um, I remember telling somebody and he looked at me and he said, that has to be God because that sounds absolutely crazy in the natural. We have to be willing to look crazy. One of my favorite, and I want to go over some examples in scripture on some really crazy examples of faith. Let's go to Mark 7, 24. All right, <clears throat> so let's go to 25. Okay, so immediately there was a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and so she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So I remember talking to mom and I'm like, I don't know what this means. And the Lord gave me the revelation on it. And it's such an awesome example and visual of faith. So we know that, so there's another, um, of course, you know, the, the gospels might have the story more than once. So there's another instance of this story also. And in that one, it says that, because the, the disciples were like, 
Jesus, Jesus, tell that lady to go, tell that lady to leave. Because he said that he was, he was called to the house of Israel. This woman was a Gentile. And so I'm like, well, what does it mean with the, the crumbs and all of that? So basically what happened is Jesus is preaching. He's going around. He's, he's, there's miracles happening everywhere. He's so great that his re reputation preceded him and exceeded him and went everywhere that this Gentile woman found out about him. And she believed she wasn't even a witness to it. She wasn't a witness to any of his miracles or anything, any of his teachings, because he was only teaching to the Jews at the time. So that's what it means when it says even the dogs will eat the breadcrumbs, because what happened was he's feeding them over here. But it got so great that the Gentiles over here heard about it and she believed in it so greatly that she went after Jesus and her daughter was healed. How awesome is that? I was like, come on, Jesus, when I finally figured out, what, when I finally got the revelation on that. Because think about it. Think about when you eat, and I don't know about y'all who got dogs. It drives me crazy when they sit under the table when you eat. But it's true. And you don't mean, you don't necessarily mean to make a mess. But stuff falls from the table when you're eating. And guess who eats it? The dogs. So that's what he meant was that surely with him doing all these great works over here, it was going to get out, and it did. And that woman believed. And how incredible is that, that she didn't even, she didn't hear him firsthand. She wasn't anywhere near him, but she heard, and she sought him out, and her daughter was healed. That's why he said, by your faith, your like go back and you'll realize that your daughter's been made whole. That's awesome. So that is just a great example of somebody that was willing to go all the way out and be crazy in faith, and her daughter was healed. Yep, exactly like that, with the woman with the issue of blood. She was sick and tired of being sick and tired. She, and look what she did. She went to the doctor. She tried it the natural way, and it didn't work. And she heard about Jesus, and what did she say? If I would only be able to touch his garment, the thread of his, come on now. Y'all know how little threads can be? <laughs> Just the thread of it? That is incredible. Uh, let's go to Mark 2, 3. So we got to be willing to look crazy, y'all. And I was willing to look crazy to get radical for my son, for his healing. I know people was like, what is she doing? Got all those people in that, in that hospital waiting room. And I think I, Cherie can correct me if I'm wrong, but I am almost certain that that was our first hospital outreach. <laughs> that was awesome. Another example is the paralytic man and his four friends. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. How awesome is that? That's another example of crazy faith, getting out there. And it's going to look crazy. Following God is going to look crazy. I'm not really sure what y'all are waiting on, but it ain't going to not look crazy. That's just how it is. Because the world, I mean, look, the world is going to label us as crazy, but that's all right. I don't, I, it's worth it to me. 
it's worth shedding the culture. It's worth shedding whatever I need to shed to, to be like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I don't want to look like the world, right? So we got to get radical. That's the only way to do it is to get radical. We got to get crazy with it. We have to. So we got to be willing to look crazy. And then number six, my last point, is that we have to be a spokesperson for the truth no matter what. No matter what. And especially right now in this season, y'all know what's happening. We got false prophets. We got people just out there saying that they're speaking the word and we know good and well they're not. We have to be a spokesperson for the truth no matter what. And again, it's going to make us look crazy. But so what? So be it. So be it. Right? So be it. So be it that I'm going to be a spokesperson for the truth. And there's only one truth, and that's God's word. So in order to be a spokesperson for the truth, you got to get in your word. You got to get in it. If you're having trouble discerning the voice of God from yourself and the devil, got to get in your word. Got to get in your word, because I can guarantee you that, that God speaks from his word. Amen. Um, I wanted to, let me see. Help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I, I just want to briefly touch on some of the things that I had to do. Hallelujah. I, I keep coming back to, to this, our soul being a portal, protecting our mind, will, and emotions. The best way to do that, the only way to do that is through the word. Get in the word. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Can you throw that up there, Jess? It was on my notes. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So, strongholds operate as satanic remote controls. And really what Satan is going to do, and that's why I said you have to be sure to know. The first point that I said was that you have to shed the victim mentality. You have to know that you're a child of God and that you're not your own. Because the first thing that Satan's going to do is to tell you that you're not God, that you're, that you're not a child of God. The first thing he's going to do, and it says it in this scripture, is that he's going to come against the knowledge of God. So the first thing to do to come against the knowledge of God is to what? Tell you that you aren't even God's to begin with. So what he's going to do is he's going to hold on to arguments and reasoning to fortify his opinion in your life. And he's going to argue against revelation in your life. So 
I can't stress this enough, how important it is to begin to become bold. When you know that you are not your own, when you know and you're fully persuaded that you are a child of God, nothing can stop you. And if you remember when Jesus was taken into the wilderness, the first thing that Satan did was refute that he was even the son of God. So the first thing he's going to do is going to combat against you and being a child of God. So what, one of the things I like to do is opposites. So if there's something in my mind that I'm not sure of, if I'm not sure if it's a lie or not, I take it to the word and I find it's opposite. So say, for instance, if you've been believing lies that Satan's been telling you, you find the truth. So you're not a child of God, but you are. Find the scripture that goes with it. Everything that comes against the word, you find the scripture to go with it. All Satan can do is imitate and mock. He can't do anything else. But it's your responsibility to deal with the strongholds. God can't take the strongholds out of our soul. He gave us the tools, and it's in that scripture. Cast down every imagination and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have to do that, and you already have everything you need to do that. That's where it starts is up here. If you don't believe, if you're not fully persuaded that you're a child of God, then everything I said here doesn't matter. That's where you have to start, right there. You have to start there. You have to know who you are in Christ. You have to be fully persuaded of your identity. You have to be. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are a child of God. You're a child of the most high king. And I, I, you know, it was so poetic to me when God showed me that scripture about the man that had been riddled with that affirmity for 38 years because I am 38 right now. And I think about still yet some of the things inside of my own soul that are not of God, that God is trying to uproot. And I believe that this is my year. And isn't this the year of completion? Isn't that our word? So I know for anyone, for no one else, this is for me. And I know that today, at this moment, I am done believing any of those other things. And I'm going to do what it takes to be radical. I've shed the victim mentality. I am not a black woman. I am a child of God. Hallelujah. I shed the double-mindedness. I don't believe what the doctors say. I believe what the great physician says about me. I believe what his word says in regards to my healing and my wholeness. I am setting boundaries and I'm becoming more disciplined in word and in prayer and in deed. I am protecting my portal, which means that I already have the tools to be successful in breaking down the strongholds that Satan is trying to put up against me. I am being about my father's business first and he will take care of me. I'm willing to look crazy. If I got to put a Facebook post out there, I'll do it. I'm willing to look crazy. And I'm going to be a spokesperson for the truth no matter what. And you have to make sure that you use the word. There's nothing else besides the word. And you have to do it with the Holy Spirit. And he'll give you divine revelation to know what the word is saying. He's going to breathe his spirit on it. And... For, for those of you that have trouble reading the word, it's you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Um, John, let's, this will be my last scripture. John 14, 26. 
I think that's it. Yes. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's our standby. He is our helper. He will reveal everything that God said to you. So if you, here's a few things that I wrote about um, based on the scripture. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our helper. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. He's our strengthener. He's our standby. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whatever you need, you need the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit will breathe life into the word. So don't try to read the word without the Holy Spirit because it won't make sense. But when you go to the word and you say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing divine revelation in the knowledge of God with whatever scripture that you're reading, and he will. And the awesome thing about the word is that it it is, this is how awesome God is. You can read the same scripture every day and get something different out of it. There, there'll be a different revelation in it every time. Hallelujah. So I encourage you guys to do whatever it takes to have radical faith. I want you guys to go home tonight and see where you need to create boundaries. See, uh, really do some self-evaluation and see where maybe you've dropped the ball. I know I haven't been as disciplined as I used to be, and I'm working on that. Instead of beating myself up like I used to, I'm going to just be firm and get back on the wagon, in the wagon, and be disciplined in what I need to do to do whatever it takes. See where you may have been the victim where you, and shed that mentality. There may be an area of your life that you haven't given to God. Find out what that is. The Holy Spirit will shed light on that. Uh, find out where you've been double-minded. And it's really easy to find out because if there's anywhere where you're just, your emotions are all over the place, your thoughts are all over the place. I know when Emery was first sick, I was very double-minded. I, I looked in the natural and I wanted them to do all these things, but I also wanted to believe what God said and I couldn't do both. I knew that the only thing, only thing that could help was the Lord. And so I had to shed all that other stuff. You can't serve self and spirit at the same time. You can't have two minds. You'll be, and the thing is, you'll be unstable in everything, everything. So go home and see, you know, get in your closet, get with God and find out where you may have been unwavering at, where you've been double-minded at and, and put the word on it. Be sure you have to set boundaries, guys. You have to. If you don't, you will be, you'll, you'll continue to be double-minded. You will. You have to set boundaries. And if it helps you to think of your soul as this portal and think about this beautiful portal that you have to continue to, to maintain, that's your job. And, you know, I think I like, I, I used to watch a lot of magical stuff, you know, where they, they go to different worlds. So think about that. Think about how you have your spirit and you want to build your most holy faith and out of your spirit, comes the rivers of living water, but your soul is so afflicted. That portal is so cloudy and messed up. It can't come through. So you, you have to use the word. You have to get in the word so that all you have to do is pray, believe the word, and yep, 
out of that portal of your soul comes, comes that faith. It comes right out. Hallelujah. I mean, that just helps me. I, I have to see, I, I see pictures. The Lord shows me things in pictures and be willing to be crazy. Be willing to look crazy. Just do it. And, but you have, you have to put his, his kingdom first. We have to, we have to be about God's business. So if you haven't been, get with it today. Make the decision today that you're not going to miss church. We know things happen, but that you're not going to miss church, that you're going to read your Bible. You're going to pray every day. Hey, even step out. And maybe, um, if you, you're at work, uh, or at school, be determined to tell somebody about Jesus. Get out there. A lot of times we go to work. We, we just go about our business and nobody knows that we're a believer because we don't tell nobody. Which when you get to the point where you won't have to tell anybody, they'll just, they'll just know. They'll just know it. But we're supposed to preach the word to every living creature. So there's no reason why people don't know that you love God and that you're a follower of God, especially if you're radical. You know anybody that was radical that was quiet? Nope. And didn't we read um, where it says to speak? We have to speak. We have to speak his word. And that means to other people. And they're going to, I mean, that's just, that's just the bottom line. We got to speak his word. Any questions? I'm done. Any questions? So these are just, I just thought to myself going through um, those trials that we went through with Emory. And I love James uh, 1, 2 through 8, because it says, consider it all joy. And I do. Amen. But um, I had to just think about just the different steps that I had to take to get to where I am today. And this is, this is my experience. And this is what, what I, this is what helped me. This is what I had to endure and go through. And so your, you, yours may look different. I'm just letting you know what, what helped me. But be willing to be bold. It says, come boldly to the throne of God, to the throne of grace. You got to be bold. There's no way around it. Crazy looks bold. <laughs> Anybody have any questions? Anybody um, need prayer? Awesome. Come on up, y'all. Just make, just make sure, too, y'all, when you're, you're combating those thoughts, it's got to go through the truth filter. And who's the truth filter? Yep. So if, it, if it's I'm telling you, every lie the devil tries to tell you, there is a scripture of truth to combat it. Amen.